podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, this is the Anfield Wrap with me, Gareth Roberts. Um, it's a free show with a difference this week. Uh, we thought we'd get into how a transfer works, really. I mean, there's a lot of talk at, at the moment about you know, why things take so long, what it's like, you know, why 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 do negotiations take as long as they do? You know, why can't why can't clubs just sort of meet in the middle over valuations, all that kind of thing. And so rather than so, just sort of speculating away, we thought uh, we'd ask some people who are a bit closer to transfers than we are. So first up first off we've got Paul Joyce. Uh, I'm sure you all know is the Liverpool uh, reporter for the Times, the Merseyside patch reporter. Uh, Joyce is going to tell us about uh, what it's like covering the Reds and and getting into transfer stories and everything else. Uh, after Paul, we've got uh, Neil Sang, who is a football agent. He's followed by Stephen Warner, who I'm sure you all know. And then last of all, we've got Oliver Hunt from Onside Law to give us a lawyer's perspective on, on that side of thing of a transfer. So as I say, something a little bit different this week. Hopefully you enjoy it. If you do, please share it. Please shout up. Let us know on social media, all the usual stuff. Here we go then. Here's Paul Joyce. Okay, so the idea behind the the show, really, Paul, is is sort of looking at transfers from people who've got people who are involved, if you like. So you know, what for you when you when you look at the way people talk about transfers on social media, on forums, in real life? You know, what 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 things you think people are perhaps don't appreciate, and you you would know through dealing with you know, agents, players, clubs and all the rest of it. Is there something, is the stuff that goes on that you think, well, that's just not realistic? Like, you know, people will say, well, why think? Why don't things just get done in a day or a couple of hours or... Yeah, I think that it's the process that, that we will go through before we publish a story that maybe is worth talking about. Um, obviously, you see on social media now, there's probably... 10, 15 names a day that Liverpool are linked to. Mm. And so I think it's still important for today's newspapers, probably even more so for today's newspapers, to have a credibility that when they run a story, it's it's perceived to be correct. So obviously we're, we're speaking to people all, all the time. It's not just, you know, a case of phoning up the club and asking them for an update on what's going on. I know there's maybe that perception is out there. But I'd say that's wrong in a lot of ways. I mean, I've been covering Liverpool now for 20 years. So in that time, people come and go and move on. But you've still got some people you would speak to and in and around the club. Um, There's agents that you speak to sort of every day trying to find out what, you know, what's going on. So it's not just a case of phoning the club up and getting a name off them. There's You hear a lot of things and it's it's necessary to to go and check those out. And that's Mm. when you you probably approach the club because you don't want, you know, to be writing something that, that's not proved to be accurate. What's weird that a lot of the journalists on this patch have really. Um, so I would say that more cautious than anything, mm. when, when a name comes up, you go through a lot of sort of processes to make sure that when the story is finally written, that that is correct. I was going to say to you, you know, you, you, you'll you know yourself that you've got, you've, you know, you've done 20 years on the patch, as you say, you've got a reputation, and, you know, everyone sort of makes a bit of a, a laugh out of it on social media that are waiting for you to say something about that every night. But I mean, with that in mind, I guess you've got to work out, you know, when something is a story and when it isn't. So, you know, there'll be a variety of people, there'll be a variety of conversations going on and you've, you've almost got to work out why you're being told what you're being told, haven't you? I mean, because... Yeah, I get- I th- you know, there's lots of instances where you hit things from people who you have a relationship with and, and that you will trust in a lot of ways, but you then have to go away and try and check that again, really, just to, you know, double source it. 
um, as you said, there is. I think there's that pressure. It's not just on me. It's on a, you know Tony be, when he was doing it, and you know Chris Bascom, Dom King. There's a, that pressure on that we feel, and, and it's a pressure that you want your stuff to. be, Melissa's another one, you know, that you want your stuff to have a credibility with it, and so it's not just about putting the first name that's out there. Because, mm. And that I think in this day and age now, I think that's maybe where you have to differentiate yourself because you'll see yourselves on the amount of names that come out on social yeah. media. Um, and if Liverpool signed every player they were linked with, you know, there'd be hundreds each window coming in. So I think that's the role of that we have in, in transfers, as you said, then to sort of differentiate between what is right and what is wrong in them. I mean, sort of, you know, being being close to the process, if you like, so speaking to agents and players and the clubs and stuff, is there something there that, I mean, I guess what I'm getting to is, I, I'll see, for instance, that people will post on the Anfield app and they'll say, look, you know, we know Liverpool want this player. We know this player seemingly wants to come. We've had a couple of instances of this this summer. You know, why can't the club speak and reach an obvious agreement? Why, even on, you know, Salah, it seems to, it seems to get done with the player and then be a long drawn out process before actually Liverpool could say we've done it we've announced the deal and you know you reported last night that you know Naby Keita's uh, agreed in principle a deal and yet there's nothing seemingly being done between the two clubs yeah I think in this in in that instance it's another way of how the way of reporting transfers has changed in both those instances the information is coming from outside the country so in the case of Salah I think there was you know in Liverpool's interest had been trailed along with a number of other players for that position but the first reporting of any bid for for Salah had come out in uh, Italy and so that's another way that as well as sort of people linked to the club and agents you speak more to journalists from abroad now and one of the things that social media done has opened that up so you can get in touch with people a lot easier so for example sake today over Cato which was a report that came out from um, a Guinea journalist which automatically has authority to it I mean there's some stories as we said before that are out on on social media that you you think or in newspapers that you think that's not quite right but as soon as the information that um, was out yesterday on Cater has a ring of authenticity to it straight away because of just because of that link between the journalist and the player. So I think what you've got to, sometimes you've got a situation where Liverpool are trying to keep everything in house, but they can't control it breaking in other in other countries. In this case, yeah. a lot of this information on Salah was coming from Italy because Liverpool were being understandably sort of cautious until a deal was done. They know it's a big summer for them. I don't actually think they've been saying an awful lot, really. And so, you know, it was Italian reporters, Egyptian reporters, uh, in the case of Salah, where the information was coming on and that coming out from, and then Liverpool, uh, you know, maybe a bit more more forthcoming as the transfer prolongs. But I think in the case of Salah, one, it was something like three weeks from the original bid coming out in Italy, the twenty eight million pound bid to just under three weeks to the deal actually being done, which yeah. isn't you know isn't a lifetime really. It's you know it's still quite quick business. Obviously, Cater um, now is the one everybody's talking to. Um, I think the you know over the past weeks, the past week there's been a lot of reports coming out in in Germany for that one and as well, and obviously Guinea yesterday. So transfers when people say it's the club giving the information out in a, in a lot of ways. The club are trying to stop information coming out at this point 
but can't, don't have control over Kate speaking to a journalist that he knows and that journalist then putting that out and, and German media speaking to their clubs and putting stories out there as well. I mean, it's also the way media's gone as well and, and the way culture's gone and social media and everything else. It may, it's got to be nigh on impossible now to, to, to keep absolutely everything on the wraps, hasn't it? I mean, you know, mentioning Salah again, we had his agents... So yeah. throwing up that, you know, he's on a flight to London yeah. and things like that. And, you know, it's it's quite easy to sort of join the dots between Instagrams and tweets and Facebook posts and all the rest of it. And, 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 and you know, Liverpool, as you say, can't control the message then, can they? Yeah, I think it's it's changed massively from when, you know, when I first started, you would be in at Melwood every single day uh, to have a press conference with the manager every single day, be milling around the car park where the players park the cars and as the, the players came out, you'd just stop and speak to the players. There'd be no sort of... There wasn't a press officer then. The players were their own press regulators. If they wanted to stop and speak to you, they would do. If they didn't, they'd just say not today. So it's just changed so much. And as you said, the sort of... The join the dots. Sometimes it leads to six, but sometimes it's right, you know? Mm. I mean, there's one this morning, isn't it? Because Red Bull have launched a new kit without Cater on it. Yeah. Everybody naturally sees a conspiracy in that. Oh, that means Cater is, is coming to Liverpool. And in the same way that I think Mbappe was promoted the new Monaco kit. So everybody means that, that, that he's staying type of thing. So, you know, it has changed so much and it, it's become, I mean, are there any real exclusives anymore? I mean, there's probably, you can probably always trace the name coming out somewhere first before it comes out. And I think as well, Liverpool are shopping in that elite sort of bracket now where everybody's sort of heard of the players as well. Mm. And so there isn't the sort of left field sort of signing that, that nobody's heard of. You just, you know, as soon as two, three months ago when Cater was, started getting strong on Cater, everybody's got like the, the YouTube clips of him out and stuff like that. And so there's no real, you know, an exclusive lasts for one minute now and then it's taken on by all different websites and everybody else. So in the old days, you'd hear something at 12 o'clock and just keep your fingers crossed that, that it wouldn't break and you'd file it for the morning paper and those days are gone now. Yeah. Every time you hear something, there's that fear that if you don't put it out straight away, that you'll get scooped in a way. And on, on the times, um, the reason why certain stories come out at a certain time is because there's different editions. So there's a 12 edition, 9am in the morning, 12 and 5. So that's why there's that sort of uniformity sometimes each day that things come out at those times yeah. it's not because the clubs said put this out at five o'clock it's because if if you don't put it out at those times in the day then you won't get it then you won't be able to get it out for example if something breaks at half past six you i then have to wait till 12 o'clock at night for that to be published so it's in my interest for it to go out at certain times in a day so that uniformity that sometimes people perceive as a brief is in a fact isn't that way in it in effect, it's just what's best for my newspaper at that time. Yeah. Do you think as well with with, with the culture of, of of football media now and every, everything's a story and you know we, you know say wind back sort of ten twenty years and I don't I don't think some of the lines that sort of end up out there now would, would have been even considered then. I mean certainly you know a club isn't interested in X. Well, I mean I've worked with. You know, editors who used to say, "Well, that that's not a story." Then, yeah. But but now it is, isn't it? Everything's a story, and I, and I wonder whether it's actually making it more difficult for clubs. And what I mean by this, I mean I was one of the first to slaughter them 
So I'm, perhaps I'm being a bit two-faced, but, you know, I think footy makes us all a bit two-faced at times. But yeah. on on Van Dijk, um, you know, the club the, the club's being slaughtered by fans for, for the way that went for, for Southampton feeling they'd done something wrong and the tapping up and the apology and the statements on the website and blah, 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 blah. And yet the actual method of what Liverpool did in many respects is not out the ordinary, is it? Liverpool didn't do anything in from what we're led to believe that that most other clubs wouldn't do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can still... I, I don't know what to say on Van Dijk, really. I mean, obviously, what I was explaining before about the certain times each day, that contributed to why the stories came out at a time or my story came out at a certain time. But in that... Listen, I don't want to go into too much detail, but in that instance, I know where I got the information from and... I'm happy that it was sourced independently. Um, we'll see what happens with Van Dyke, but I don't think Liverpool, in terms of you know the approach to the player, I don't think they did they did anything that that Arsenal haven't done with Lacazette, for example. Mm. It's gone on forever as well. Yeah, hasn't it? yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's, it's it's in it's in players' autobiographies. It's it's not yeah, it's not exactly. like a it's not a 2017 thing. It's no, gone on forever. No, and it's interesting that you know the Premier League decided not to take any action, mm. isn't it? Because if it was a if they were really worried about it, you would have thought they would have made a stand. I wanted to ask you about uh, agents as well, Paul. I mean, obviously you deal with with, with a lot of them and I think uh, in general, you don't have a good reputation. And yet I think it's worth saying, and, and the same applies to journalists, that you know, the, the modus operandi, if you like, of, of the different people involved, both journalists and agents, um, and players and clubs and blah, blah, blah. Everyone's different. There, there is, you know, so if we say, oh, well, all agents are in it because all they want is, you know, the money and they, they just want, you know, the best for them. They want a cut of it and blah, 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 blah. That doesn't apply to all of them, does it? No, and not, no, and not all of them use, you know, dodgy tactics or upset players or upset clubs. There's, there's different standards for different people, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I think um, catch-all phrase of agents being bad for the game is totally totally flawed in a lot of ways. I mean, there are a lot of agents who, who look after the players and protect the players out there and the perception that they're just in it for the for the money betrays the investment that they've made in because a lot of times these players have, the agents have had the players from, from the age of, well, now you're getting down to sort of 10, 12. Yeah. So, you know, there isn't a big, a big money tree there at the age of 10 or 11. So it's the investment that, that they put in and I think you're having Neil Sang on. Yeah. on the show, who, to my mind, would be a good example of somebody who invests a lot of time in a player like, for example, say Tom Davis at Everton, probably speaks to him every single day, advises him on all parts of his, of his life, keeps him grounded. So, though, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, put him in a bracket with, with maybe other agents who... And I think he will have, like, a personal touch with Tom that will almost make him part of the family type of thing, so... You know, maybe some of the bigger agents have are more unscrupulous, but even then, ultimately, it's for the player to say whether he wants something or not. Yeah. I mean, I think there was an interesting one over the weekend with the link between Ruben Neves and, and Wolves, and everybody's having a go at Jorge Mendes because obviously he's linked with Fosun, who own, who own Wolves now, but surely the player has a responsibility if he doesn't want to go to Wolves to say, I'm not going there. You can't force, I don't know, maybe I'm being naive, but, you know, you can't, I don't think you can just pin it all on the agents. The players have have a responsibility as well to to say what they want in their careers. I, I don't know of too many players who will have been moved on because the agents thinks that's 
good for them. Ultimately, it's their decision. Yeah, I think that's what we're saying. Do you feel as well that, you know, the, the media at all is it, it, kind of used at times? And what I mean by that is, I mean, if we, if we look at, say, the Oxlade Chamberlain situation, you know, Liverpool linked over and over and over with them. It's been like, you know, it, that's that's another one that's turned, it felt like it's turned into a saga. And yet, at the same time, over to the left, we've got a situation with this contract and Arsenal and all that. And so, you know, if you're being a cynic and you're looking at it, you're saying, well, is all of this, is all this Liverpool interest, he, he's interested in going there, all this sort of long love story between Klopp and him, and yet you wouldn't be surprised if he just goes and signs another contract at Arsenal. And then you're looking at it thinking, well, is everyone just being used a bit here, that Liverpool, journalists, etc.? Yeah, I think that very perceptive. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, you know, that is an increasing part of it. Um, Sergio Ramos and Man United a couple of years ago, that was, everybody felt at the time, that was designed to get I a mean, new contract at, at Real Madrid. Um, it's difficult to say, I'm not going to have any part of that. Mm. And I'm not going to do that because why is because there's people who will do that. So why is that agent going to speak to you if you're if you're not prepared to? And and that's very difficult to have been doing the job for so long and gradually because of the power and the money that's in in the Premier League now and the and the the growth of agents. So when you when you when I started, certainly there'd be maybe two or three agents that that you'd deal with, but because you were seeing the players face to face. You could speak to them about things. Yeah. Now we're now we're in Melwood before a press conference, so you don't have that contact. So consequently, you have to go to other people. Consequently, you know there will be times when you feel um, what you described. Then really, that there's a certain games games are being played, and you know you don't want to get dragged in into those. But at uh, the same time, as you sort of said, like I mean, if, for instance, if. If Liverpool are linked with a big a big name, and there does seem to be something in it, even if you question the motives, if you like, if you like, if you don't write it, but everyone else does, then your desk going to be saying to you, "Well, I, I, Tracy, where, why haven't you filed this?" Yeah, and that, that's where you've got to be strong and say, "Well, I don't believe that there's a strong enough interest at that moment to to warrant a story on it." And listen, you know, you can be too cautious sometimes, yeah. and there's the evidence of that this year with me. I've probably been too cautious on some stories, but my mind is that I'd prefer to get it right and know and know that it's definitely right than, as we said before, just go with every name that's out there and say there's some something in that. I mean, if you take take one example recently is interest in Mbappe, which everybody says, says straight away. Although there was comments on that, that's FSG PR. Yeah. Well, to my mind, what benefit is... A, it's, a, that's not true. And, and it goes again to the story coming out in France again. So it goes against this idea that that, that it was briefed. It was out in Le Keep about uh, the weekend. It came out in Le Keep the weekend after the first salad bid. So the, the Thursday was the salad bid broke. And then on the Sunday, there's a story in Le Keep that Klopp had met Mbapp's entourage and, yeah. you know, Maybe he needs to be a bit more under the radar and when he's meeting everybody and all that. But um, So that story came out then. And straight away, I think it was you who said it on one of the podcasts, why would Liverpool not ask for for that player? Why would they not want to be involved in the conversation? So then obviously the story came out on the night Salah signed about in Marker said Liverpool had had a hundred million pound bid turned, a uh, hundred million euro bid turned down. So from our point of view, I don't think... Liverpool would bid for a player unless they know 100% that the player is going to come 
and how they get that information is just football nowadays, yeah. what we go back to say. But your gut feeling says that, and sometimes your gut feeling can be as good a judge as anything, is, is that there is an interest in Mbappé. And I know people say, well, it'll never happen and, and it's FSGPR, but that's just not true. Well, the PR thing doesn't doesn't work for no. me because, I, you know, as you, you know... Because what, what, what have they been slagged off for? They've been <laughs> slagged off for going for players and not getting them. Yeah. So why are they going to... And if this is another themselves? one, if, if this is another one they don't get, then they don't benefit out no, of it. Everyone no, just says, no. well, they, can't, they haven't done it again. Yeah, they've not done it again. The club's not an attractive proposition for the elite. So I think it's dissecting what's right and what's not right. And a lot of the time there is, you know, the marker story about the 100, million, 100, million, 100 euro million pound bid obviously was too much, had gone too far. But the genesis of the story that Liverpool... At the time, there's a lot of talk about Arsenal um, feel that they can get Mbappé if he comes to England. So, you know, if you're Liverpool, why would you not say, well, we're more attractive than Arsenal at the moment. We've got Champions League football. Yeah. Klopp's a better, more progressive manager than Wenger. Um, so why would you not sort of be in the conversation? Exactly. On on transfers as well, where, where would you put it, Paul, in terms of, you know, the bits of the job you enjoy, if you like. So, you know, it's quite, it's actually quite varied what you do, isn't it? So you, so you do a match report, you might do match previews, you might interview players, you might interview managers, you do the press conferences before and after. You know, they're, they're all different types of journalism yeah. and, and so is reporting on transfers, isn't it? Yeah, I think the transfer is still the sort of, it's the hardest part of it because obviously when you go to the match, you're just reporting on what you see. Yeah. Transfers, you're sort of chasing stuff and... So it's the hardest part, but it's also if you do get something, it's it's probably the most enjoyable part of it as well. It's just that nowadays that doesn't last very long because yeah. there's the panic of can you use it and you have to get it out because the fear is that it's going to come out in Germany, for example. I mean, I, I would imagine the next step in the in the cater situation will probably come out of Germany because their journalists will be today speaking to Red Bull Um their journalists know the agent better than the journalists over here. So, so yeah, the transfers is the most sort of rewarding part of the job in a way because you feel that you're informing supporters something that they don't know, whereas the sort of um, press conferences and the, and the match reports, you know, everybody sees that yeah. side of it now. But it's definitely got harder to, to try and to get that information first has, has undoubtedly got harder over the years and and only will will continue to get harder because... It comes. It can come out in so many different areas now, and I think the advert, the rise of sort of club media as well means that the clubs increasingly want to break the stories themselves mm. because of hits and and everything else. So I, I don't think it's going to get any easier. And it also makes it harder for you as well, Paul. That you've got all you know, you've got all kinds of Twitter accounts, you've got all kinds of websites, and you know they they won't striving to the to the standards you set for yourself so i mean for instance i'm not going to throw anyone under the bus here I'm, I'm sure everyone's got their own different ones but you know for instance i'll look on like news now for instance at the, at the, at the list of liverpool stories and there's the, there's websites on there that are always top of the list every day in terms of what hits they must be getting and it's it's nonsense a lot of it it's and it's it's headlines to, that you know, really, I, I don't like the phrase clickbait because I think it's a, a bit of a ridiculous phrase in a way, but if, if you're talking about clickbait, well, these are the closest lads to it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. look who Liverpool are in for now type of thing. And it's every day. And it's like, well... Yeah. Th th I think that's going to end up being counterproductive, though, because, mm. you know, you're saying before about the half ten, everybody waits to see what's coming out at half ten. And, and just to explain that, that that's because... 
the back pages of the of the newspapers are sent to the BBC, and, and the BBC will put the back pages of the the paper out by certain um, the reporters. You can follow them on Twitter, so mm. you will see the back page of every paper at half nat, ha, sorry at half ten. And so that's where the half ten thing came from. Why would you lose ownership of that story? Because everybody can see it at half ten anyway on the BBC's tweets. But I think that that whole sort of you know Liverpool remarkable transfer raid and and all <laughs> that 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 you probably see ten times a day. I think there'll always be that thirst for the truth and the and the credibility in stories. And I think that you know it's papers, isn't it, as well? Do it nowadays. And um, I think supporters. Uh, too savvy now for all that and I think they'll see through that and they'll they'll know that if it appears on X newspaper website or X website it's it's increasingly likely that it's not going to be right yeah I think I think I think because the treatment because if they do get something right the treatment of that story in the headline is different to if they're just taking a flyer you know what I mean so if for example say there's a story and Andrew Robertson is going to sign today or something. The paper that will do a flyer-type story on Sergio Aguero sign or whatever will treat that story differently to Andrew Robertson because they know that one's true. Mm. So they even package them different. So they're not really kidding anybody in the in the long run. I just think there'll be a... And you, and you sort of hope there is. You, you hope there is a turn-off from, from that. And the, It's weird, that, isn't it? Because I think there is and there isn't. There, there is in terms of there's plenty of people who will just say, well, unless... Joycey, Dom, blah, 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 a report on it. I, I don't really believe it because the lads on the patch seem to have a, a higher standard. But at the same time, the likes of your gossip column on the BBC, the likes of, like, I mean, I used to work at the Mirror online and, you know, they do like a Liverpool roundup and Arsenal roundup and Man United roundup when they got in at 7am. Yeah. And they they always do well for yeah. clicks, and that's why. No, listen, I, I look at the BBC thing first thing every morning, really, mm. because that's the you know that encapsulates everything in the paper. But I think it's a little bit of a cheat, almost. Because, that's probably the wrong word, but by producing that, the BBC gives the impression that that's where you read the story first. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and so it's quite clever in a way, and obviously brings you into the to the website. But I think that's different to that roundup. It's entitled the gossip, yeah. you know, gossip. So it's making it quite clear what that is. It's the other ones where it's like sensational signing today. Liverpool set to make a sensational offer because it's appeared on an obscure Italian website and it's just lifted and it and then it's like reports so, such and such. But I think you've got a duty to certainly the the type of journalism that that we've known. You've got a duty to go and try and check that out rather yeah. than just report it. And I think that's the difference. You don't want that type of to sort of thrive against with what you regard as yeah, because more uh, credible journalism. Because a day in the life for you, for instance, will still be quite old school, and that you know you might you might see something, or you might hear something, but then it's going to be checked out with a series of phone calls, isn't it? It isn't jump straight on the keyboard, no, regurgitate can... it, and just put it no. out there. No, sometimes you know you'll you'll maybe make less phone calls on something than others because, as as I say, you have just a and the cater one yesterday was an example of that because of the authenticity of the original story. So you'll make some calls, but you know that something's going on with that one. So I think there's have they been linked? We've been linked with the severe goalkeeper this morning. Yeah. So I'd want to make more calls on that one than I would do on Cater because we know Cater's a target. Yeah. We know Red Bull are back in training today. It's highly plausible that he'll go and speak to the president or the chief executive there. So on that one, yesterday there was, you know, you speak to a German journalist, for example, try and speak to people in and around the club, although the club really aren't 
well, they're not saying anything and stuff like that. Try and speak to Red Bull, whose stance all along has been, uh, he's not for sale. So once you've made those calls, you, you're pretty much informed and have built a bit of a jigsaw puzzle and you know, you think, yeah, that's plausible, that, that story's not. You know, you can go and publish that story, whereas with the severe goalkeeper, you'd want a definitive, yes, he is a target, and you probably won't get that at the moment because Klopp's on record are saying he's not looking to sign a goalkeeper. So Loris Karius's agents on record are saying that the player's not leaving. Huddersfield managers on record saying Danny Ward's coming back. So why, according to this report, are Liverpool spending 12 million on new new goalkeeper? It just doesn't add up that one. So you'd have to go away and make more phone calls before you would even think about publishing that yeah. story. Thanks very much to Paul Joyce there from the Times. Uh, next up in this transfer special then is Neil Sang, who is a football agent. Uh, Neil, just to, to start us off really, if you just tell us a little bit about how you got into being a football agent and, and your background, maybe some of the people you've represented and, and still do represent. Yeah, of course. Um, I was a former player. Um, grew up uh, supporting Liverpool, played for Everton. So I call myself a Rue. I'm a red and a blue, just trying to sit on the fence there, keep everyone happy. Um, but no, it's uh, I played for Everton in the Resies, and um, a mate of mine who was a year younger than me, a lad called Ian Jenkins. Uh, I was getting, in, I was into sort of non-league football at the time, drifting down the pyramids. And I'm sure there'll be chance in this in this podcast to give you some real honesty about my career. But um, I didn't have the, the resilience to, to fight against the um, uh, me sort of waning if you like I just I, I just couldn't do it so I got to about 25, 26 and, and Ian Jenkins said to me he said why don't you come and represent me and I said me be an agent one of them not a <laughs> chance so he said so when we were sitting having our uh, our Sunday we have, we have a Chinese banquet in ours not a roast and my brother said why don't you ask him why I asked you so I did and he said well you'll tell her how it is he said you know football you love the game you know loads of people in it and I'd love you to have a have a go at representing me I'll think about it, I said. Then a week later, he rang me and said, listen, I've got five clients lined up, including me. So you've got your own little agency of players already. I thought, you know what? I'll have a little go. And it just spiraled from there. So I've tried to do things differently. Um, and so it was just having that football background gave me a real good springboard into it. Um, so it's uh, it's been really good. So players that we've, we've represented, we've had lads, young lads at Liverpool's over the years who haven't quite got there. Um, we've had lads playing for England, lads at Everton, lads at Man City, um, but it's just one of those. I, you, you just got to keep growing and learning every day, haven't you? And it's a, it, it, it's a brilliant journey. So I'll, I'll keep cracking on for the time being. Well, you, you said there that you you know you wanted to do things differently, and you mentioned sort of when this idea got suggested to you, you were like, "What? What? One of them?" So yeah. You sort, so you sort of you were aware from the very start that there's a there's a, there's a problem, isn't there, with perception of agents, what people think of them, how they perceive them. They think it's Absolutely. some fat fella with a big cigar who's, yeah. who's only in it for themselves, don't they? Definitely, they do. And, and I've had some funny stories along the way Robert with in terms of um uh people so so one 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 story was I got to a window at Shrews because that's where Ian Jenkins played and I gave my name in and she went oh yeah you're one of them aren't you the lady said I said one of what she said you're one of them agents you aren't you she went we don't like people like you and I said well you know what I said I'm a dad so I've got newborn babies at home I said I'm I think I'm an alright fella I said I'm polite I said please when I ask for me tickets I'll say thank you when I get them in my hand if you're still <laughs> going to give me them I said you know what I said judge me as you find me don't judge me on perception and from that moment on she was the club secretary from that moment on she was different class with me and I had the same one it was only a, a lower down deal but it was a it was a lad who was playing in like the ninth tier of English football um, called Greg Blundell great lad went up and played in League One and he went to Northwich who were in the conference at the time, 
And when we sat down around the table, the chairman opened up with something like that. And and players don't normally go into the into the negotiations, by the way. But Greg's sitting next to me. Keith Alexander, God rest his soul, was the manager. Chairman was sat there. And he said, you know, I'm not used to dealing with people like you, these scumbags. He said, oh, you're only sitting here because you're getting something out of, out of this deal and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you know, stop you there. And I said, listen, if this deal goes pear-shaped and if you think I'm an idiot, if you think I'm unfair or unreasonable or I'm greedy, no problem. Address it at the end. I said, but don't judge me at the start. I said, I said I'm not, not the nicest kid, looking kid in the world, but don't judge me now. Judge me at the end. At the end of the meeting, about an hour we were in there, kid got a great deal. James uh, says, have you got a minute? We walked out and we went and sat in the director's box and he said, I'm humbled by what you've just done in there. He said, I can't apologise enough. And he said, that'll never happen again. I said, but listen, they're bad agents. Judge them as you find them. So it's you, you always get that. But as I say, I, people who know me will say, he tells it how it is. He'll do what he says he's going to do. He'll try and over-deliver. You know, he's got a big heart. Let's leave it at that. And if, if people don't think that's good enough, fine, fi- find someone else. In terms of in, in terms of then how it all works, because that's really what we sort of got you in for and, and what the the show is about. Because yeah. we've also spoken to you know a journalist, a lawyer, a player. Right. And and what we're, what we're trying to get into is you know I think right now you know if you look out there on social media and that sort of thing, there's frustrated fans of every club, not just Liverpool. Yeah. And they're like, you know, we know that Liverpool want player X. We know that player X wants to come by the sounds of it as well. Why can't he just get it done? And and when you I think that, you know you see things like for instance oh you know club X wants wants 42 million. Liverpool are prepared to pay 35. Why don't they just meet in the middle then and get it done and and I, and I think when there's like any time lag. Yeah. I think fans look at it and just go, well, what's going on? Like, what what's happening behind the scenes? Why why does it seem so convoluted and difficult? Is it convoluted and difficult? Very, very difficult at times, particularly at the top level. Um, it's one of those where it's dead. Like people think negotiation is, um, and and you know what? Commonly, the fans think it's let's just meet in the middle. Yeah, that that's the common thought. Negotiations run so so much deeper than that. Uh, in terms of football transfers. so And you know what? There's still chairman and chief executives that say to me, let's meet in the middle. And I go, well, what are you offering? And they'll go, well, you know, our offer might be, let's just pick a figure out, out my backside, uh, 20 grand a week. And I go, okay, tell you what then, I'll have a million quid a week. Should we meet in the middle? <laughs> and they go, eh. So you can't negotiate yeah. like that. So I, I, try and, um, I try and put a bit more reason and a bit more rationale behind it. And if I can actually reason things that I'm, that I'm actually requesting off a club, I'm at least one up. If you can then reason and ra- give me some rationale back as to why you want to pay a lower figure for him, then that's fine. Now, that's that's the, the same whether it's players' wages or same whether it's between the two clubs on the transfer fees. So there's a lot of a lot of different things. There's, I mean, there's a million bits of mechanisms that go in there. Again, as an example, there'll be relocation things for a player at, coming into Liverpool Football Club. Uh, his kids might need schooling. Club might take care of that. There might, you know, there's going to be agents' fees involved. There's tons and tons and tons of different little things, and a lot of times the things that hold up a deal can actually be the player's living situation. Where's he going to live? Where's his kids going to go to school? His missus wants to work, but she's got to leave her job. So you're going to find her another job. It's not always the transfer fee. I mean, that that that's commonly what it is. But again, it, it's not always that. Mm. There's, there's tons of different things that that make up a transfer. And and another one for you as well is you know obviously the way things have gone this summer and what's been reported in the press and you know the big the big hoo ha about Van Dijk basically mm. uh, with that it seemed you know if we believe everything we we read uh, it was all 
pretty much done and dusted. The club wanted to come to, sorry, the player wanted to come to Liverpool. Liverpool wanted him. He likes Klopp. Blah 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 blah. And perhaps it seems too much leaked into the, into the press, into the public sphere. And Southampton got a bit of a cob on and said they were going to report Liverpool and blah blah blah. And everyone went mad, including me. Slagged Liverpool off. <laughs> uh, said, "What are they doing behind the scenes? They should sack someone and all that." I, I literally did say that. Um, <laughs> But you know what? They might. <laughs> they might do, yeah. They but might. I mean, but I mean, it's not uncommon, is it? You know, they, we said this all the way through this show. I think you know, clubs speaking to the players, it it goes on, doesn't it? I mean, we don't yeah. like it to be all very Corinthian, and you go and knock on Everton's door and say, "Hi, we'd like to speak to X." You know, yeah. but it it just doesn't work like that, does it? No, typically, again, they'll sound an, an agent out because again, top level deals. There is so much time and effort put into them. You know they've got to cut their their budget cloth accordingly, and um, whether as whether it's transfer fees, wages, all that sort of thing. If if a club can save ten million quid on a transfer fee, that might be the making of a deal because then they can funnel that into the player. You know and get get your likes of a, an Alexis Sanchez who's now wanting three hundred grand a week wherever he goes. I'm not saying they'll come to Liverpool, but you you get me point. If a club can save on a transfer fee, it filters down. So I think. Um, I just think, as I say, I think that there's so many different things and elements that go in there. It's always really difficult to put, to put your finger on 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 why. But typically, what what happen is clubs will sound an agent out and say, you know, if if we're in for your player, does he fancy you? Uh, and and the agent will go, if he knows, he'll tell him. If he doesn't know, he'll say, leave it with me. And you'd speak to your client and you'll go, Liverpool are in for you, Virgil. What do you think? And he'll go, not a chance. Um, don't like Jurgen Klopp played against his team don't like his style of it. whatever it is mm. um, or the agent might say well Liverpool are in but you know what if you hang fire at Barcelona are nearly there so players jobs and, and agents jobs are always in the public domain to try and seem as if you know the, the you know, I'm happy at Southampton and until Southampton tell me otherwise there's always that public voice but behind the scenes Van Dijk I'll, I'll guarantee will be saying to his agents if Southampton wants 60 million that means my wages are going to go through the roof. It means I'm going to be in a team or a club that's going to that's going to win something. Or you would like to think if they've got, if they've got sixty million to spend, yeah. I'm going to win something. Get me gone. I would be I would be gobsmacked if he's still at Southampton come the end of the window. Gobsmacked, and I think he'd be at Liverpool. I mean, the other thing as well I wanted to talk on is sort of I guess a term for it could be. It's again something. It's it's maybe a perception thing, but I think I think agents are tired with the, this idea that there's almost like a darker arts going on to get to get a player to move. So you know, manipulating the press, uh, unsettling the player. So to you know what you said before, really about the idea that you know everyone's looking at you and going, well, you're just in it because you get a chunk of this deal. Yeah. And so there's this idea that all agents are permanently trying to unsettle their clients and permanently looking for you know a, the grass being greener elsewhere and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Again, is that unfair? And is it in fact what is is it in fact you know some people might do that, but others won't. And yeah, I think again, agent to agents, I think there'll, there'll definitely be agents out there who do that. Um, but I find it. I find it bizarre. I, I remember I got slaughtered by um, Hugh Jenkins um, and Lee Deneen at Swansea in the press. We're going to distance ourselves from Neil Sang. We'll never deal with him ever again. Um, blah, 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 blah. And what was the reasoning? Well, well, I'll tell you the reasoning. That was the public. Neil Sang hasn't conducted himself properly. Now, I could have sued on that because I, I, said, I rang Hugh Jenkins and said, you need to retract that. I said, because what does that mean? And I said, and I'm not going to go all out on it. I said, because... You know, fans who will look at me, they're not they're, a player's not going to stop signing for me. I said, I'm just marking your card that that's poor show. Mm. What actually happened behind the scenes was um, 
Bristol City bid a million quid for the star player, Lee Trundle, who I happen to represent, and I happen to have a great relationship with Hugh Jenkins. And the second it didn't go his way, there was a big statement in the press that Neil Sang were going to distance ourselves from, from Neil Sang. And actually, Lee Trundle says in his book, Sangy got blamed for it. He said, but you know what? It was me. Something really turned me on by the fact that I was going to be sold for a million quid. A lad who only four or five years before was playing non-league football. There's something that was really sexy about that. And I said, great, if you want it to happen, we'll make it happen. Because Swansea were rejecting the fee. Mm. So then I go in and say, listen, Lee really wants it, blah, 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 blah. And he says, because you're going to get a big fee. I said, irrespective. And then that's another mis- sort of a, a misconception from the public that play- agents get paid percentages of transfer fees and stuff like that. They don't. I've seen that written loads of times yeah, in the press. Yeah, yeah. Let me put it on record. They don't. They get a percentage of the um, of the players' terms, and it's typically between five and ten percent. Typically, more typically five, the lower end than ten. Foreign agents, continental agents, will always go ten percent because it's, it's more the norm in, in in your France, Spain, Germany's, and whatever else. Um, so whether your player stays or goes, it doesn't matter because Lee Trundle would have, would have got an uplift the Swansea. So you get 5% of his new deal anyway. So it wasn't the fact that I'm the chairman saying, oh, you're getting more money going to Bristol City. Well, only if they pay more than you're prepared to give them on a new deal. Well, then, yeah, I will get more. But so will Lee Trundle. And that's who I work for. I don't work for you. So it's, I always say this, the agent's so easy to blame. Yeah. And listen, sometimes there are so many wrongings out there. And with the deregulation from FIFA of agents, rules and all that, there are so many wrongings. It's gone a little bit back Wild West. But again... That doesn't mean to say I, I have to swell the ranks of the of the charlatans. I just get on and do what I've got to do, and, and it's about building relationships and keeping it right. But um, I think it's uh, as I said, it's dead easy to blame the agents, isn't it? And and fans of of this one might blame Van Dykes. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. is that what's going on? Is that what you've heard? I don't well, know. well, there's, there's various, as as ever on that one. There's there's various different you know stories kicking about, none of which we could particularly verify, I don't think, but you know, there's the idea that the, someone's been a bit leaky at the club and, and got mouthy and said something where they shouldn't. There's yeah. the idea that something's come from an agent. There's an idea that someone, a player, said something somewhere and you know, I mean, with that one, there was it was just. I think I think it was the level of detail on it that that scuppered it. You know, all of a sudden, it's 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 in Blackpool. It's a specific place in Blackpool. You know, yeah. someone's mouthed off there. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea yeah. that just you know a manager's met a player. Well, that you know, as I've said earlier in, in this very show, you know, read read players' autobiographies is happening all the time, and it's gone on for years, <laughs> yeah. hasn't it? Service stations and all that sort of thing. Yeah, they've gone up a level if they're going to Blackpool, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but and I think. I think maybe we're, we're, you know, if we're putting two and two together a bit, it seems to me that Southampton just thought, you're almost saying this is exclusive to Liverpool now and it's done and we can't have our, have our little yeah. public auction around the player because, you know, supposedly Chelsea were interested, Arsenal interested, and maybe yeah. they were looking forward yeah. to the idea yeah. of playing them all off against each other. And that happens as well. Yeah. That happens, but, you know, on the, um, the league, Rob, what I'd say there is, I'd say... Um, you think about the, the mechanism of a transfer. It's really hard for it not to get out. Yeah. They're easy. Oh, Michael Edwards is to blame. He needs shooting, sporting direct. He's only a young lad. But he hasn't got a clue. It's dead easy to, again, point the finger of blame. But So I feel sorry for him. I've read a few bits about him from fans that, you know, he, he wants um, lambasting over it. Think about this. So Liverpool won Van Dijk. They'll talk about it internally. So there's several people know. Then they might get in touch with the agent. The agent might will, will then get in touch with his clients. The agent might tell a couple of his colleagues if he has any. The player then might go, what's Jürgen Klopp like? Joe Bloggs, you've played for him. Then he might go, what's Liverpool Football Club like? You've been there. 
which might be Lalana or Klein or whoever, 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 whoever he's playing with. And then Klein goes, oh, I've had Virgil on there to his agent. And his agent goes, nothing to do with me. Speaks to a reporter and goes, yeah. Liverpool are into Virgil van Dijk. You owe me a favour. Oh, what a great scoop that is. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's out of control. Yeah. Who, who do you blame? Yeah, I, was exactly. at, I was at a League Two club, did a deal for a client um, last week. And uh, the manager came to me and went, we've got a mole. We've got it. I said, what do you mean? Just that on the unofficial um, Twitter account, a really experienced player who's been a captain, a captain of his former club, signing days in for his medical, said, you've only been here half an hour. It's just got out. He said, we're going to sort it. And I said, I said the same thing. I said, think about it. And he's a new manager, this, this, this guy. I said, think about it. I said, you know what? If you drive yourself mad and stuff like that, you'd never be out on the grass doing your job. Because there's so much that you aren't in control of in football. So much of well, it. You just can't control that message, can you? Because like, no. as you say, it's especially like, you know, at Liverpool's level, like everyone knows what Van Dijk looks like. Everyone knows what yeah. Klopp looks like. And you just need one person with a phone. They go on the Twitter. They, they've took a picture. <laughs> exactly. and, then, and then it's off. The story's away, isn't it? And it's not like... I mean, we, we had Paul Joyce on earlier and, you know, Paul was talking about, you know, he does... He, he, he is one of the ones that tries to verify stories properly. He'll speak to a number of sources... Not everyone's like that, though, are they? No. And, and loads of people no. will add two and two together and come up with about twenty-two and, yeah. and, and lash it all over Twitter. They want the retweets. They want the you know they want the attention for it. Definitely. And then and then you're away. The story's gone. Definitely. The story's got legs. Yeah, definitely. Well, think about it as an agent. If I can get a if I can curry a bit of favour with a journalist or somebody knowing a scoop on something, why aren't I going to do it? I don't look after Virgil Van Dijk, so why do I care? I'm getting a bit of favour over here from this. That might benefit one of my clients down the line. And that's what I've got to do. Yeah. I've got to be, always be fighting for my clients. So, you know, you, you look at the Van Dyke. Well, I look at the Van Dyke situation and it, it did become a bit of a royal mess in the end. But you know what? And, and, this is, and this is the thing. I get why clubs will speak to agents first. I do. I get that. However, if Liverpool had gone through the right channel, if they had rang up the chief exec or the sporting director or the chairman of Southampton and said, we've had our internal chat. We want him. And do the deal that way. You know, they could even say then, would he come? If Southampton then want to go to Virgil van Dijk and say, listen, Liverpool want you, would you go? He can say back, no. Or, do you know what? Yeah, I'd really fancy that. Okay, great. Now we know that Virgil. Keep it under wraps. Only the people at Liverpool know. You know. It doesn't go anywhere. Let's do our transfer contract. But they've also then got within their own rights then to to launch it all around Europe because he's a top centre-half. You know, he's somebody you could see Mm. being in a, a Liverpool team that wins the league. He's that good. So, but if you go through the right channels, there's never any egg on your face down at Liverpool. You do it, you try and agree your fee with Southampton. If you do it and it's going somewhere, then you might get into the player and say, we believe you've given this, this a bit of a thumbs up. Here's the type of salary we think you could earn at our club. Listen, push your end as well. Because that's, again, common and maybe the fans don't really know that. But it, se- it seems like from, from the Liverpool perspective yeah. this summer, that... On a number of occasions now that Liverpool are doing it the other way round. So you know, mm. there's the Van Dijk one, which we, which we you know we've discussed and is well reported. Yeah. But Salah, even you know that's done and it's it's done and dusted and he's he's done the lead and he's posed with the scarf and the shirt and all that. Yeah. But it was reported weeks and weeks before that happened that he'd agreed personal terms and that he was going to triple his wage and all this sort of thing. And it's like, well, hang on. You know, and again, when you're looking at it from outside, you're like, "Well, that's mad, isn't it? How can they agree personal terms over here when they haven't even when Roma haven't even said they're selling them, and, yeah. they, and Liverpool and Roma haven't even agreed the fee?" And then we've got a similar one now. It seems with Keita, 
uh, reported yesterday in the papers that again Liverpool have said, well, if you come to Liverpool. And it's very specific figures every time as well when these things are getting, you know, <laughs> yeah. you'll get £130,000 a week. And then and then there's the line that, oh, you know, and he's happy to go. Yeah. But it's all about now whether uh, the club will sell and how much they'll sell for and all this. And it's like, it seems a bit, it, it's, and I'm not, I'm not obviously in the industry, but it, it seems to me, and I've, I've seen a lot of fans say similar, it seems a bit of arse about it. So why don't they, because yeah. you know, why don't they go to the club first and say, we definitely want him. We're prepared to pay sixty. Yeah. Are you interested in that? And yeah. they might go, no, fuck off. We're definitely not selling them. <laughs> yeah. Or they might go, well, <laughs> well, if you're up your money, we might do. And then don't isn't shouldn't that be the point you start talking to the player? I mean, I yeah. guess the problem is there's no hard and fast rules, and it's all a bit. It can get messy. It, can't is, it? it is messy. You're right, Rob. It, it's messy, and it's and it is. Um, it, it can be cloak and dagger. Because again, think about it. So so going on from what I said before, the way to do it is go through the front door. Can we agree a fee? Blah 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 blah. Now, if that's the only thing you do as a club, you're actually being daft because everybody else is doing it differently. Some might go through the front door first, others might go to the player and is it or not the player, but the agent first and, and get that one. But if a club only went through the front door, we're all all the clubs and all the players and all the agents in business trying to get themselves the best deal, aren't they? Mm. So that club is gonna go, tell you what, Liverpool have just given right out out the gate just bid forty million. Right, get on the phone to all our oppos around Europe, will anyone go more? And so then, what happens then is you would, as Liverpool Football Club, you wouldn't want that to happen. You wouldn't want Southampton to hawk your mm. fair offer going through the front door. You've conducted it properly, forty million through the front door, whatever it is. You wouldn't want them to hawk that round. So guess what you do next? You might do it that way at the start, but then you'll go to the agent and say, "Listen, we'll give him two hundred grand a week." He's probably not going to get that anywhere else, but we'll give him 200 grand a week. We'll nail him on with a mega deal because we think he's going to be a centre-half for our club for, for the next 10 years. Um, tell you what now, we think, all right, we'll go to 50, but we think that's unbelievably fair given the bad injury you've just had. You want your 200 grand a week, son? Go and fight your corner. Say to Southampton, I don't care if you get a £100 million bid in from anywhere else. I don't like the sun in Spain. I'm not going. I don't like Germany. It ain't happening. I'm going to Liverpool because those people in Liverpool are phenomenal and all my mates are there and blah, 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 blah. I'm going there. So you might go through the front door day one, but day two, three, four, five, you might say, you want a bit of this? Go and fight your corner because we're not paying a penny more. So, But again, that's just savvy business. And again, everyone knows it goes on, but actually pinning it down and saying, all right, I'm going to sanction you. I'm going to blame you. It's never happening because yeah. you can't you can't pinpoint it. I mean, I thought it was interesting as well that even before the season was over. So I think it was the I think it was the press conference he did before the Middlesbrough game that Klopp was asked about transfers and asked about the summer and all that. Of course he was, and he basically said something along the lines of, "Well, we've done a lot of the hard work already," uh, which which was interesting. I mean, you know, it was interesting. Interesting, but also you could work that out. I mean, it's not like they, they just they just put pins in a page and go, well, he's sound. They obviously look at players over a long period of time. But also he said something like, um, and, we, and we've had a lot of the conversations already. And then, you know, when you bolt that onto what's then <laughs> happened, you're like, well, what are, they, what, you know, what are they up to here? But also as well, it's dead interesting that another pattern that seems to have emerged is it's actually Klopp. Klopp speaking to all these players. It's not like it's not some. Yeah. It's not Michael Edwards. It's not an agent. It's not some intermediary. He's going. Yeah. He's going and knocking. He's doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the thing. And and that's unusual. But as because I said before, it's done. 
everyone can speculate and and everyone can can sort of deflect blame and whatever else. But if a manager's saying that he's going to do it, listen, if it's if it's nailed on and, and Liverpool agree with Roma for Salah, great. Klopp should turn up to that first meeting and say yeah. and sell the club to him. And then it's up to Michael Edwards in the hierarchy to go and do the, the players' terms and whatever else. But if, I don't know whether you're saying this, if Klopp is saying, I've spoken to Van Dijk and I've had a gab with him and this and that and the other, then that's just got to be a big no-no. Because mm. you're actually just, you're just incriminating yourself, aren't you? Well, you know? And that's what seems to happen. You know, it was reported that they were in Blackpool together and blah, blah, blah. And then Definitely. I, I, think, I think the actual wording in some of the reports, I think that's what got up Southampton's nose. It was along the lines of, Something like he's indicated, he's he's indicated to Liverpool that he, he likes Jurgen Klopp and he wants to play for Liverpool. And I, and I thought you know so being so definitive before a fee was even agreed. Yeah, I think in their boardroom they've gone. You know what? I'm fed up with this. Yeah, let, let, let's get it out there that we're reporting them. Let's you know let's go to the, the yeah league or definitely. Whatever. And it's a shame you know as well because Liverpool have given Southampton tens of millions of pounds yeah. over the last two or three seasons, haven't they? And so you'd, you would like to think that there's a good relationship there. So for it to go a little bit that way seems a bit bonkers to me because I would have thought that... Because when I saw it all going a bit pear-shaped and they're get, Liverpool are going to get sanctioned, it comes up, doesn't it, breaking news. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, come on, where, why aren't they pulling on, on existing relationships here and saying? Because um, the likes of um, Les Reed, who's the, the sporting director, Ross Wilson, I don't know Les, but Ross Wilson, the assistant sporting director, I know quite well. And he's a phenomenal fella. Um, so there is, there's always the suggestions of what's going on. I'm giving you some insight into uh, suggestions of what can happen. I'm not saying they do. Yeah. I'm not saying they don't. I don't want to incriminate me or anybody else in, in this. What I'm saying, I'm trying to give some insight into if you were a club, wouldn't that be the savvy way? But as I said, it's dead easy to, to turn around and, and take something out of context in a, in a, in a report that Jürgen Klopp's apparently said such and such. Jürgen Klopp might not have done mm. That reporter might just be writing a load of nonsense to make himself look great to his boss because, you know, some reporters are under pressure, aren't they? Yeah, and so now we're talking about players, sporting directors, agents, managers, chief executives, journalists, blah, blah, blah. There's so many different cogs in this wheel of a transfer that you probably never, ever really know the truth. It's just it's it's just a, a a mad mixed world, but but it's one that endlessly entertains us, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it definitely does that. Uh, do you think? Do you think the whole process maybe needs needs more rules and regulations? Should you mentioned it being a bit wild westy and that sort of thing? You know, should I don't know? Should there be a, a proper licensing thing around agents? Do you think? And I mean, there has been there has been they've tried there, haven't they? Mm. Um, and what's happened in in the past is. Um, There'll be agents them, or there'll be guys masquerading as agents who aren't licensed. Uh, they've got no one to sanction them. So if they do anything untoward, there's no one can sanction them. And then if if lo, lo and behold they get a player over the line with a club, they'll just bring a lawyer in to sign it off. So that's always been around. So what have the rules meant then for those people? Because again, it's business. Like I said before, it's business. If a club can get a, a better deal by orking someone's offer around, they're gonna do it because it's mm. business. If an agent can get his client and himself a better deal by orking it around, he might well do that. Um, so you've got to look at it and think: Well, all the mechanisms involved um, will rules and regulations really, really help? Because they've tried it. Yeah. They've tried it. Um, we, there was a, I was a founder member of the uh, the agents association. It's called AFA, uh, Association of Football Agents, run by uh, Paul Gascoigne's old um, agent Mel Steen, who's a lawyer in London. Um, and and we were trying to get to a, a mode of policing ourselves a little bit as well. That if you were a member of the association, you had to sign up to a certain 
set of values and morals and, and a code, a code of ethics. If somebody was stepped out of line, you could sanction them in a certain way. Things so become that self policing body. But because there's so many agents now and, and FIFA with their deregulation, it just it just sort of unsettled the association a little bit. That because I said there could be, I think there's something now, um, something like fifteen, sixteen hundred licensed agents in the country. Under those licensed agents, there'll probably be another several thousand. I'm going to pick a figure and maybe say six, seven thousand people working under the umbrella of those agents. And then on top of that, there's probably several thousand people masquerading as agents on their own. So you're probably talking into the ten, fifteen thousands. Mm-hmm. There's only two thousand professional players. Not wow. everyone's making money. Yeah. And and add into that, that's just in this country. Add into that. The vast majority of the top level where all the big money is, they're foreign players anyway. So guess what? They've got foreign agents. So then that swells the numbers. So it's just it just becomes mind-boggling to police. I'm not saying don't have any regulation. I'm not I'm not advocating that. Um, but I just feel sorry for the authorities that a lot of times at the FA, they're non-football people. Then if I went in and said, Let me let me help you write up some regulations from things that I've seen in the game, and then bring on a few other people in who you know are, are decent guys. They might get some really good insight to do something about it, but they never do. There's maybe an arrogance at the FA, I, I feel sometimes, that they won't entertain certain people. Maybe the change, I think Greg Clark, if I'm right, he's still the, the chairman. I think, uh, was he the guy who did, did the parliamentary commission um, yeah. uh, recently? And he spoke quite candidly, and I quite liked that. He was on for a couple of hours, and I watched it all. Quite candid, and I thought he was good. So maybe it would change, I mean, I don't know, but there just needs to be, they, they need more insight. They can't get insight from the media, having a few corridor chats, a few meetings at clubs. Yeah. They need deep insights. Otherwise, it's just gonna it's just gonna carry on, and, and, and rules will be broken. But I guess what you have got now, then, because of the way it is, is that, and because of the level of competition, by the sounds of it, between agents, mm. I guess what you have got then is is weirdly it, it will self police in a way because. You know, if you if you were a terrible agent, mm. word would get round that you were, wouldn't it? And you know, therefore, other players wouldn't sign up, would you? Do you know what I mean? So, like, it, it must get a. I mean, yeah I, and no. Well, go on. Yeah and no. Uh, I, I know. I mean, obviously, I won't name any names, but I know there are agents who who have shafted players royally, but still get clients, and it bugs the life out of me. <laughs> I go, to, I look at players and go, but you know he's done that to him, but you still, you've still signed on with, with this guy. Why? And you know all it is? It's that simple choice of, yeah, but I know he can get me a move to that club because he's best mates with the chairman. Right. Whether an agent's bent or not, whether he's a good guy or not, a player typically will go, he says my needs. Whether that needs is, I want as much money as I can get, I want the best move I can get. Or, or those needs might be, I want some real support and some love. I want a little bit of a little bit of care. Yeah. I want somebody to manage my life as well off the pitch and support me with that sort of stuff. It just depends. Everyone's different. Yeah. That's why there's loads of agents out there serving all the needs. But so there are bad agents. So you would think they'd get sort of blackballed in the game agents who are who are um, who are dodgy or, or crap at what they do. But as I said, if it serves a purpose for the players, always going to join them. Last of all, then, I just wanted to ask you about more, the human side of footy because we always talk about it on here, and I think it's a conversation that goes a little amiss in the, in the wider football world. So, mm. you know, how, how important is that to you? And also, do, does football collectively do enough for it? And what I mean by all this is, so we've had, we've had players on here, players who are still playing as well, who, who have said things like, um, you know, they'll just get a call out of nowhere from the club basically going here, we've accepted a bid from X and here we want you to go. Yeah. And and like, you know, we've been sitting there when that player's saying that going, well, that's a bit cold, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? That's 
and, and it's just like, oh, well, that's the way football is, and it's cutthroat, and so what, deal with it. Yeah. And then, you know, you talk as well about, you know, sort of kids who don't make it and drop off out of academies and that sort of thing. Yeah. And we always say, well, you know, shouldn't someone be doing something with them and, like, checking they're okay? Shouldn't, they shouldn't just be allowed to drop off at the end, should they? You should look, you know, the, the club should look after them. So so do they in general? And, and is enough being done around that? Or is that an area for improvement, do you think? For major, Fussy? major improvement. Um, I, and I get why clubs don't do it. You know, clubs will clubs will will release a player, and it's sort of the dunkers. Clubs are in the business of producing players and and making money. Um, their businesses now, aren't they? The, as I said, I think the the romantic, or some, I won't say all of it, but some of the romantic elements is gone. Um, I th- where you know Liverpool will look after their own, or Everton would do the same, or or, or Tottenham or, or whatever. It's he's not going to be good enough in our face, and we get rid. And it is it's as cold as that. Mm. But players and agents get blamed loads for like if a player wants to leave. So Virgil van Dijk wants to leave Southampton. He'll get pelters in the press from all the Southampton fans. But the second that Southampton, their beloved club, who Virgil said he doesn't want to go, the second they release four kids from Southampton who've been born and raised in the city and been at their academy since seven years of age, have been to 18 unceremoniously, fans don't not bother then, are they? Mm. What, where's their beloved club then? So, But you know what? The owner should be on on clubs to do that. I think, again, the FA can do way more in terms of educating parents as to the other choices and the second and the plan B, if you like. And I hear this all the time. I, you know, all these, these motivations, stuff, plan, plan A is good enough. We don't need plan B. If you work hard enough for plan A, plan B is not needed. Yeah, and I get a bit of that as well. Mm. Um, but let's just look at the numbers here, the percentages. The percentages are horrific for players making it, particularly at the top level. Um, so yeah, major onus on, on on clubs to do it. It wouldn't be hard for them with the with the money available and the resources they've got to put a plan in place to get kids into other clubs because they say oh, we will get you a child in another club, son. Very rarely do they. Sometimes if they're a really good kid, they will, but but very rarely. Um, so I try and fill that gap, and I see part of my role as an agent is trying to fill that gap. Um, so I had a, a, a lad released from a club um, a couple of years ago. Really, really bright lad. Mum a lawyer. Dad had his own uh, business, um, and I, I just said, listen, states, go to the states, educate yourself. He, he, he lacked a little bit of confidence um, at his club. I said, go and be the best player. Go and be the main man, and he's there. And I've been, he's been voted one of the best players in the country, and he'll come back and have a big future. So that was great. So that was, but that was my suggestion. It wasn't his club suggestion. Mm. It was my suggestion. His club suggestion was go to Hull on trial, and I said, and if you don't make it there, what? I said, but listen, if you want to go, I'll support you and let's talk about that. So I just try and fill that gap. But clubs, FA, everyone, again, as a collective, should do it. And the FA, and, and, and maybe this is the other thing as well, Robbo, is that, again, I talked about deep insight before. I see the pain on these kids when they're released. And I'm not the type of agents who'll be as cold as a club and go, oh, well, you mean, yeah, see you then. You're no commission to me. I'm off as well. Lads who I know, I could give you a million names, are fight and fight and fight to get them at Warrington Town or, you know, Ballard Town in the League of Wales or Bangor City or, or you know, Macclesfield Town, wherever it is, mm. I'll, I'll fight. And I'll still represent them when they're there because they might come again. But I think, again, giving deep insight into the FA as to what football actually does to these kids' mentalities when they release them, um, I think that they need to see it. I think they need to see it and feel it a bit more rather than just talk about it. Um, but I think, um, 
I think there are there are one or two clubs. I think Liverpool are decent at it. In fairness, I think they help. Uh, they've got they've got a really good education and welfare um, department there. So topically for, for the Anfield rap, I think Liverpool Football Club are as good as it gets in that in that department. Well, that's good. I think that's good to hear for us, for us fans because you know as much as we want to win the league and buy top players and all that, I, I sort of like the fact that you know Liverpool does things right as well. I mean, I'm I'm always moaning about here Liverpool. Doing a bit more in the community as well, but that's a, that's for another show. Yeah, um, Neil, thanks very much for joining us. My uh, pleasure. Really, really interesting, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime. Definitely. Big thanks to Sangi there. Really interesting stuff. Uh, next up, then we have Stephen Warnock, who, who normally is on our Pro View show. Uh, just a little chat with Stephen about transfers and what it's like being a player and going through that process. Steve, just just talk us through really what you know what transfers have been like for you where how they work how, how the negotiation goes what it feels like to be involved in a transfer as well just you know give give us a bit of a insight from your perspective really um it can be either straightforward or it can be long and drawn out i think um i think i mentioned on a previous show when i was at blackburn how uh, a transfer f- uh, oh, when I was at Liverpool and going to Blackburn, our transfer fell through because Lucas Neal went to West Ham and sort of uh, the, I was on the last day of the window. I was on my way down to Blackburn um, and then it fell through and I waited for six months for it to come back around. And I remember it being July, uh, January and you're thinking, well, it'll happen on the 1st of January because everything was agreed last time and whatever, but... Um, I think it dragged on till about the the thirteenth or fourteenth of, of January that time, um, and it's just I think once you you get the green light from your agent to to go to the ground, <coughs> you you just go in there thinking, well everything's been agreed contract wise, money wise, and things like that, and now it's a case of getting through the medical and and doing the medical, and some people's medicals are more strict than others, and some are quite quite lenient if you like. Um, I remember at Blackburn when I'd been there a year or two or and Sam Allardyce come in and uh, any player that came in um, we had M- Michelle Salgado come into the club and you had to do a fitness test going into the club to see if you were at the level that he thought you, you should be at and it was, it, was a, it was a hard run I remember watching him doing it thinking I would not fancy doing this on my medical I think any medical I've done um, I've sort of gone into the club and done a few things, um, saying that my medical at Blackburn was quite hard, but at other clubs it's been sort of scans and things like that. But Blackburn were very thorough in what they did. Um, when I went there, they were worried about the history of me breaking my leg. Um, like I'd done my leg three times, so they sent me to a, um, a, a specialist to go and speak to him, and he x-rayed me, looked at my legs, and sort of put me through a few sort of uh, exercises and, and looked at certain things and then when I went back to the training ground you've got uh, a machine that tests the, the strength of your legs and things like that so I had to do a test on this machine to see that I was knackered doing me, doing me medical thinking I best pass this and then obviously I passed it but um, it, it's always a worry when you do your medical that they'll find something that you didn't think you had there Have you, have you, sort of, have you felt looked after by clubs when you've been you know, when you've been transferred out and in, really. So, I mean, have you felt like they've kept you in the loop? Has there been times where it's just been sprung upon you? And at the other end as well, when you do get to a club, have you felt looked after? Did did, did he help you settle down? Did he help you find a new house? What You know, that type of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, that's part of the process. When you when you go into a club, you'll have the player's liaison officer there who basically comes, introduces him, herself, whichever it may be, and they'll um, they'll talk to you. I mean, when I went to Blackburn, I stayed where I was. I stayed mm. in Ormskirk, so it wasn't an issue for me. But uh, when I went to Villa, went down there, and there was a lady who looked after us. She actually took me to me scans and everything like that. And while we were on the way to the scan, she's sort of telling you everything about the area, what you're after, asking you what you're after, if you've got a family, and they try and get as much information as they can while they're doing this. And then they come back and they'll try and give you as much as they can of what you've asked for or what suits your family. Um, so clubs are, not that they have to be, but they've got to be uh, open when you come in to, to help you settle because the quicker they can help you settle, the quicker you can perform on the pitch. In terms of going out as well, I mean, we, we've seen players you know, complain at certain times that it's it, it's sprung upon them, that they don't really know, that they'll just get a phone call out the blue and they don't feel like it's being properly communicated to them that you know that was ever going to be a possibility I mean I remember Joe Allen saying that about Liverpool uh, I remember speaking to, to Jay Spearing on a, on a program and he, he was talking about you know he'd, just get, he'd be on holidays around the pool and he's get, getting a phone call saying we've accepted this offer yeah yeah I think it does happen and it goes back to that saying again This that's football and it's such a cutthroat game that uh, an industry that that does happen, and you do just get a phone call, and because there could be a phone call out the blue talking about another player saying, like you go back to Jay there, and someone could have been ringing about another centre midfielder, and they suddenly gone, well, what about Spearing? And they've gone, well, um, yeah, yeah, we'll take a bid on him. Do you know all of a sudden, and mm. then it hadn't even been thought about, but if they inquired and they thought, yeah, we could actually shift him on or do something then that is where you could be on holiday and suddenly you get a phone call and it's like, um, yeah, we've accepted a bit for you. But then you don't have to go. That's your decision then to either stay and fight for your place or you think, yeah, I quite fancy that and I'll give that a go myself. I mean, as part of this show as well, we've, we've spoken to an agent there, but you know, what, what, what's your general view on agents? Do you think that how they're viewed in the in the wider world, if you like, is a little bit unfair because, I mean, I think they've got quite a negative rep if you were to ask me as a football fan, but then I'm not dealing with them. So, you know, is that fair for me to say? I think you need an agent because they've got so many ins at clubs and so many relationships that are built to sort of chairmen, scouts, managers and and things like that. I think there's probably a, a lot of agents who you'll get deals done that other agents can't get done to certain clubs because of the relationships that they have. Um, And there'll be agents that clubs won't accept and won't do deals with. Um, So then the player's actually hampered to move into that club because the club will not deal with that agent. Um, They've got the pros and cons. They've got a lot of links and they've got a lot of... uh, Say if I wanted to sign for a new club now, for me to find the numbers of of all the managers or chief execs or chief scouts and things like that. I mean, how long is that going to take you to do? Whereas if you've got your agents and they've got all them numbers there at hand and also they know what they're asking for, as in money-wise. They know what the current market is because they might have a player who's in their, uh, under their umbrella that plays in a certain position who's at a certain club and he, he 
he earns a certain wage and they think, well, our player's better, we move him to a better club so we can actually get him more money or he's not as good and we can get him a little bit less than that. So their negotiation tactics are probably stronger than yours as well. So I think you, you need them to a certain degree, but finding the right one is very difficult. Do, do, cl- do clubs ever circumnavigate sort of what, what we'd expect? So, so what I mean by this is, you know, we all think that there's these complicated and in, intense scouting missions and all this, and you know, we've all played footy manager, and we expect that that's how it goes on in the real world. But sometimes, could a club just be basically cut to the chase, go to an agent and say, "Listen, who've you got that would fit X, Y, and Z for us?" And, and almost let the agent do a bit of the legwork. I don't think so these days with um, with with the the scouting network that's about because you've got like something called like my scout and things like that where mm. you can literally type in my name and all my clips from all my games this season that have been covered will come up and they'll show everything and that's every every little minute so you can watch anyone in so the all world. the all the clubs got that have they? I think most of the clubs use yeah. it. I think there's a few now that have uh, there's a few different things that are used but. Um, there's a lot of scouting things that are about. So I think sometimes if they fancy a player in South America, they can watch him first and then they can send someone out rather than sending someone out and they come back and go, wasn't even worth it. Or, yeah, we should get him, whatever. There's there's ways of saving money now for clubs going into a transfer. Because we did used to hear about sort of clubs signing players on the on the back of a DVD, on the back of recommendations of certain agents. Do so you think it's sort of moved on a bit from that now? Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably where agents have lost their their way a little bit mm. in, in that respect. Um, and I think the amount of money that's getting branded about now, I don't think clubs can really take that gamble to to do that. I think a lot of clubs might have. I think it was George Ware's cousin, wasn't it, who went to Southampton or something like that? Ali Dia. Ali dear, yeah. So I don't think he cost much anyway, was it? I think he, he, it wasn't like a massive issue for him to go in there. But I think them days are gone now, where you're getting George Ware's cousin going into a football club there uh, from an agent's deal. But I think agents will they'll ring clubs, and I don't think it'll be the Premier League. I think it'll be more Championship, League One, League Two, Conference, where we've got this player and do you fancy him or? Um, and then they say no, but we're looking for a left back. Who've you got under your umbrella? Who's available? And, and that will happen. Um, but more often than not, they have an idea of what players they're after and who's about. Last but not least, then on this Anfield Rap transfer special, we've got Oliver Hunt, who's a sports lawyer from Onside Law. Uh, he's going to tell us about that side of things and how that works when you're putting a transfer together. You know, Ollie, you've you've had experience of working through this process on on, on both sides, uh, working with agents, working representing players directly, and working with uh, working with clubs in order to pull deals together. How complicated a process is it? I know it, that's a bit of a how long is a piece of string question, but sort of how 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 complex can it be? Can it can it become to sort of to to, to pull these deals together? Uh, hello. It's um, it's not complicated in terms of the legal mechanics or the legal issues at stake, but it can become complicated in terms of fitting all the jigsaws, the jigsaw in piece together, and um, making sure that all the the relevant paperwork is completed in the right order. And um, there's there's lots of moving parts normally because the club may be talking to one or two different players and the selling club might have its own agenda and so on so it's complicated on a practical and commercial level but not necessarily 
a legal one. When I refer to the type of clients that you've worked with, you know, you've worked with some some pretty big names in amongst all of this, and it's you know it's worth sort of making that clear. But how do these people find you? How do they come to you in the first place? Are you out looking for them, or do they come and find you through a third party or something like that? On the whole, it tends to be word of mouth, and um, once your footballs are quite a tight industry, and once you're known in the industry for having expertise in it. Um, workflows word of mouth really i mean the, the the deals a lawyer tends to be involved in um would would be either the real top end stuff where there's you know a huge amount of money at stake or sometimes actually the lower league stuff where they don't necessarily have the sort of expertise in house the slight the sort of middle of the road stuff often gets done actually simply between clubs without a legal involvement uh, Ollie, I just wondered, you know, f- from a supporter's perspective, uh, we, we, you know, it's summertime, we're looking at deals, we're wondering why, for instance, Liverpool can't get certain deals over the line and what what quite the problem is. I mean, from your perspective, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, perhaps why it isn't as simple a process as people might think? So, I mean, so, you know, you mentioned before, you know, some deals can be simpler, others not so. I mean, what, what, what kind of things can take the time? I guess there's things like maybe image rights clauses, sell-on clauses, that sort of thing. Is it all those things that you'd have to sort of churn through that can take some time? It is, yeah. There's, there's often, um, from a legal perspective, it is things like, I mean, a, an image rights um, deal doesn't tend to hold up the transfer because image rights really, um, particularly amongst English clubs, because there's no third-party ownership really, and often it is unlikely for an image rights deal to hold a transfer up. But there are certain clauses within deals which, which can be slightly more complicated. And as you say, that might be a sell-on fee or it might be a release clause. Has that been triggered? Hasn't it been triggered? Um, but actually, the main hold-up tends to be not necessarily the documentation, although often lawyers get blamed for it. But, but often that's actually a bit of a sort of an excuse. Normally, it's just one piece of the jigsaw is missing, Um and that depends really on the on the bargaining power. So who is really in the driving seat here? Is it the buying club, selling club, or is it the player? And you only need one piece of the jigsaw to be slightly out of joint. And obviously the whole deal can't can't sort of happen. Now that might be because the selling club is trying to replace that player with its own deal. And so you have lots of deals sort of working in tandem. Okay, and and, and you know how how involved in general? I mean, I guess it would vary from client to client, maybe. But I mean, just speaking in more general terms, how actually involved is a, is a player in all this? So when there is the sort of backwards and forwards and negotiations and you know all the stuff that frustrates fans really when you just want to see a sort of deal over the line and a man holding a scarf at a, at a training ground, uh, you know how how involved is the player in these things in in normal circumstances? Is it mainly just agent player? lawyer or or you know how central are they to it they, they are on normally actually they're on the periphery so the player has been made aware that a club is interested and the player will either say yes i'd love to go there or not and if the player wants to go you know as part of that transfer then he will just let everybody get on with it so actually the player tends to be on the periphery of it on that then, when you're involved, because you've seen both sides of the process, with the clubs, is there often a situation where clubs are, for instance, beginning to negotiate with a player where 
they're either giving you the impression or you've got the impression this is one of many irons in the fire for that particular position. I mean, my point on this is, you know, when when we discuss sort of the reportage of transfers, it's often things look like they're, they're nailed on. Uh, and as you say before, there could be one piece of the jigsaw. But, you know, do clubs often get quite far along with a player when either you know or someone else might know or you might suspect they're just basically a fallback option and... What I'm sort of saying is, is there a lot of the time where a lot of people's time ends up effectively just being wasted? I'm sure everyone gets paid, but where the time effectively ends up being wasted? No, really, I think if you get to the point of, of negotiating terms with a player, uh, it, is, it is normally sort of um, nailed on that, that that deal will happen in terms of you know the will of the parties. It is rare, actually, if you start getting to... Yeah. discussion of terms with a player that a deal falls away. And is that the same sort of club to club as well? I know you've been on that side sort of representing a, uh, I think there's one transfer that's referenced on your testimonials, I think around, I think it's Johan Kabay, where you've, you know, is the, again, when clubs start to talk and start to talk about payment terms and all that sort of stuff, if the, if we reach that point, are we, you know, is it, does that, do all parties expect it to be all systems go? Yeah, they do really. I mean, there's, there's often one or two parties become frustrated in the process, and and and, and that often, when there's a transfer that everybody um, wants to happen, um, if there's a hold up, the buying club and the player tend to be most frustrated because it's often the selling club starts <laughs> imposing certain conditions or or requirements. Um, so so. Yeah, I mean, it's really often that, I mean, obviously the, the sort of power really is in the selling club and, and a selling club can hold, hold you know, hold a deal up if it needs to. So in general then, if there's games being played, for want of a better phrase, and this is, but this is how sort of supporters see transfers. Firstly, there aren't as many games being played as supporters might think. But secondly, if, if things are difficult or awkward, it's more likely to be on the sort of the side of the selling club. We've got their own set of, exterior sort of needs when you said before about having another player lined up yeah i think um i think games is probably a bit harsh yeah. because um it, it, a lot of it is strategy and and you know a lot of it is there's a lot of money involved um but yeah i'd say if there's a hold up and most people think a deal is done nine times out of ten it would be the selling club because the selling club might be waiting on something or if it's a foreign club selling into the to, to the UK, the selling club wants a certain sort of a um, uh, better understanding of, of the implications of, for example, payment in instalments. So if the transfer fee is going to be paid in certain chunks, they want to know how does that work under sort of the you know the relevant regulations and so on. So um, yeah, I'd say that's a fair sort of summary, really. What's your what's your experience of of agents, Ollie? Because I'm I'm always interested in this one. It, it, it sort of presents it, I think, in the sort of wider world as being a bit of a sort of wild west uh, occupation almost. And I I often think you know we we've 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 met some ourselves. We spoke to some ourselves, and you know varying experiences. I think would be fair to say. Is that the same case for you? Do you think they get a raw deal? Do you think they've got an image problem? What, what what's your general vibe on on football agents? Yeah, I think um, as in any walk of life, there are lots of different sort of, um, examples. There are there are some really really good ones, um, and there's some you know everybody comes across occasionally from time to time who who you might think perhaps aren't so good. Um, I think they get a bit of a raw deal because at the end of the day, their job is to 
look after their client and their player, and that is to get the best deal for them. So there's often talk about it's not good for the game and all that kind of stuff. Actually, that's not their responsibility. I think the frustration, um, certainly, from time to time can be when too many agents start trying to sort of thrust themselves into a deal. So a a club has, has identified a player, talks to one agent, about that player and another agent says hold on you can't talk to him he's my client and and that i think when there's a bun fight as to who is representing that player that that can be a bit problematic and and it doesn't help anybody has that got worse since there's this idea that you can just sort of pay 500 pounds and with the fa be, be suddenly credited now as an agent i know that's a relatively recent thing has that made that situation more complicated and more difficult i personally haven't found it i don't think so i think um I think the tr- the trouble is, even when it was highly regulated, um, th- there were all sorts of things going on in any case. And actually, what the FA has effectively said is, look, try to we've tried to regulate this, but you know, no one really wants it regulated, and um, we're sort of knocking heads against a brick wall here. So, so they just carry on as you are doing, really. Um, so I, I don't think it's changed that much personally. Do you find, uh, you know, you mentioned before that there's the there's the middle of the road stuff. So just to sort of, you know, do you find the there's the middle-of-the-road deals and then there's the high-end deals and then there's the, the lower-end deals where clubs might be coming to you because they need an experienced and an intelligent third-party head, but they haven't got their own one in-house. Is Does it tend to be, you know, and again, we're all only talking in broad strokes rather than specifics, but is it almost easier with with the bigger clubs, the bigger players, the the cleaner sort of process that, for instance, if you've got a, you know, if, if, if we're talking here about a very, very, very good player, there's less room for, for people to sort of mess about. It's the wishes of that player will be granted. Or can those can those ones be, be as complicated as any others? No, I think I think that's absolutely right. I think the bigger deals, to want a better expression, with the bigger clubs who've done lots of them, have got really sort of professional outfits involved in every aspect, I think are easier. Um, yes, I mean, the biggest problem actually with the lower league stuff is that where a playing contract has been done without the involvement of a lawyer in the past, and there is a, a clause in there which has been drafted by a non-lawyer, and someone's looking to trigger that clause, but actually, you know, sometimes it doesn't yeah. make sense, and actually, frankly, no one really knows what the legal position is, and that's actually where the biggest sort of headache comes in that lower league stuff, really. And just sort of one last one before we before we let you go back and get on with it, just to sort of put a note in for the listener that we're recording this in mid-June. Is there also becoming more and more established a vibe <clears throat> within sort of elite level transfers that there's a certain sort of class of club who at the very top of divisions across Europe who tend to get their business done first and then that leads to the knock-on effect for everybody else? Have you noticed that trend coming in more and more or is it still just a bit of a free-for-all throughout the whole window? No, I, th- I think you're right, really. I think um, over the years, the experience has told those bigger clubs to get their business done early. And nine times out of ten, when, when there's a rush deal towards the end of a window, um, it, it's often chaos. And I think most clubs now would seek to do their business early, really. Um, and I think all clubs are becoming more and more sophisticated. They know who they want to target. They don't suddenly think at the end of the season, right, who are we going to go after? It's, it's a well-thought-out process. You might as well get on with it earlier than better. Sorry, Ollie, one more from me as well. Um, I, I just wondered about the idea of, um, you know, you're involved in the process of a transfer uh, a lot of the time. And I just wondered what you thought, whether you were surprised 
you know, to see headlines and and reportage around the idea of of Liverpool tapping up a player because you know, from our perspective as as supporters, even just basic things like reading, you know, ex players' books and that sort of things. You know, there seems to be lots and lots and lots of stories about clubs sort of speaking to players, you know, behind the backs of the clubs that they actually play for, if you like. It seems to be a fairly common practice. So um, I just wondered whether you were surprised, because I certainly was, to see the idea of, of, of tapping up appear in the papers when it, it seems to be fairly common practice. Yeah, I think I think there's two things on that. I think the first is all clubs and all agents are pretty canny as to how they use the media. And they use it to um, to get certain deals done. It might not even be the deal they're talking about in the paper, getting that done, but it might be you know, the reason to get another deal done. So I think they're all very canny using the media. I think um, it is rare to see tapping up stories in the paper because, uh, you know, glass houses, really. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a tapping up issue, but I think all clubs operate in a very similar fashion. Now, it's a massive generalisation, but... The industry is the industry, and therefore, the minute you start criticising somebody, you know, if you're not careful, someone could look back and and see what you did a couple of years ago, even. So you have to be a bit careful what you what you claim. Um, that said, you know, I don't know. Often, sometimes it, they may have a valid valid claim. You know, it depends on the circumstances. There you go. Then that's been an Anfield wrap special from us this week. Here, uh, getting into all all the stuff there about transfers. Let us know what you thought of that one. Really interested to hear your thoughts. Get us on Twitter, on Facebook. Look us up on YouTube as well. We're regularly uh, producing videos now on there. We're on Instagram as well. And also, if you've got some time, please do rate and review what we're doing. Uh, it's the best way for us to get the word round about what we're doing, really. So on iTunes, you can give us a rating there, hopefully five stars, hint, hint. Uh, but you can also do a little bit of a write-up about what you think about the show as well. Uh, and, and also on our Facebook page as well, if you look up the Anfield Wrap there, you're able to leave a review there and, and again, a star rating. Um, it'd be great if you could give us a positive review and hopefully more people get onto the Anfield Wrap and we can keep on doing what we're doing. Uh, so we get more from us uh, all the way through the week and the free show will return next Monday. Sports Social Podcast Network.